get open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. All right, this is a, a long chapter, and there's a lot of issues in the chapter. Uh, the One, the role of the Holy Spirit comes up, and uh, I'll just touch on that a little bit. Uh, again, the m- issue of the meaning of the death of Christ is going to come up, and it's especially uh, key. I may not do that tonight, since our lasagna was frozen. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. Maybe next time. But the other is the relationship between the heavenly and the earthly temple. And so let's start with the last one first, because that's where the writer is starting. And so some understand the earthly temple to be a copy of the heavenly temple, like an architectural understanding. And what what we've said, what I would say, is that the earthly temple is not so much a vertical copy as uh, the temple is a fulfillment in time of uh, the it's the transformation of the relationship between God and human beings and so the cosmos is made a fit dwelling for God so that the discussion here of the end times so the tabernacle the idea I, I hope everybody got what I just said in other words some people think oh well here's the the tabernacle and up in heaven there's an exact duplicate but I think it's rather it's a foreshadowing of a temporal uh, fulfillment of the temple that uh, you know the, the and that's the sense of the type or foreshadowing so in 9, 8 to 10, the first tent is said, he says the language he uses, it's a symbol, it's an image, it's a type. Um, and so as long as the first tent stands, the way into the sanctuary is not yet revealed. What he's saying about the first tabernacle is that it was actually a picture of a kind of obstructed access to God. Uh, but what he's describing here is there's a shift in, in the covenants uh, that, and this we've already read, you know, in Jeremiah that's quoted the long quotation there at the end of eight. And so there, there's a shift in covenant, and we have a shift in the regulations for worship and the sanctuary. But the place in which the two tabernacles or temples are found. Uh, you know the two covenants one is a earthly representation of a reality that eschatologically the writer is going to talk about as now being here now present so in the first tent the the difference is he says it's constructed by human hands the second is not made with hands uh, I think it's made, but it's made by God, you know, and I think the image here is that, it, you know, get, uh, I think two things not to think of. He's not talking about a construction up, way up in outer space. I don't think he's simply talking about the realm where God dwells, the eternal realm, because it is something that's made. It's made, though, by God. Uh, and so I think it is a reference to the cosmos itself. The first was filled with, you know, he goes through all the sacred possessions, the golden 
altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the cherubim of angels over the mercy seat. And that's the place, I don't know if uh, in the Gospel of John, you know, he. Uh, many people think that the writer is referencing the Ark of the Covenant. The two angels are sitting on each end of the tomb where Jesus lay. And in between would have been something on the equivalent of the mercy seat. Um, But in this one, the writer says, Only Christ appears in the eternal temple to offer himself at the place of atonement. This is We haven't read this yet, but it's in my, verse 26. Because the first covenant has an earthly, was an, where there was an earthly constructed temple, the sacrifices at the place of atonement, he says, must be repeated. And of course, we've talked about this, that there is the sense that, and I, what I've claimed, it's not a reference to the cross or to the death of Christ, And this is going to get controversial, this statement in this chapter, because this chapter seems to actually say precisely that. Uh, I don't know if I'll... uh, uh, But at any rate, the idea is that he's offering himself by the eternal Holy Spirit, by the eternal Spirit. And so the picture is it's a present tense, ongoing offering that was made, if we just read in chapter 8, that's made when Christ sits down at the right hand of God. Uh, And so the idea is the Holy of Holies is God's presence. It's not made known in the first tent, which was the very function of that tent, that tabernacle. It was to show that that access to God was limited. In 8 to 9, he says the Holy Spirit is signifying this that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. He's going to use this language, but I think in the end what he means about this present time, he's going to talk about this as the time of reformation or the time of correction. And so the idea is we're in the midst of a shift between that there is the earthly tabernacle, maybe he's referencing the temple here that's actually standing, and he says the, the, uh, that they cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. But now the time of correction has come, the time of reformation, and now people's consciences through the you know, eternal spirit are actually uh, made right. And so it's a the word that is there in the Greek looks very similar to the word parable. Uh, the earthly sanctuary is a parable pointing to the present time when the heavenly things have arrived. That is, it's now. Then he presents. So it's a the argument I'm making is it's not a vertical, you know, copy of an earthly thing, but it's a temporal or horizontal perspective on the relationship between the earthly tabernacles which pointed forward in time. And so the earthly had a normative status. You know, it was access to the sanctuary in this understanding was not disclosed. But now the new order has come and that status no longer applies. That uh, the presence of God, the heavenly sanctuary, 
is now disclosed. And that's the picture. You can enter in through Christ into the Holy of Holies, enter into the inner place. And so he's not referring to a, a copy, but it's a, a, a different word might be a prefiguration uh, of the heavenly one. It is a type. It's the same thing that in 1 Peter 3, 21, and, and, and uh, you know, the word is tupos. Uh, it's a type or an archetype. Um, Paul will use a similar similar language between events of the past and the present time. And so there's a, a, a historical continuity between God's action in the past, the present, and the future. That is, it's not that one is ahistorical, but they're all historical, temporal events. And so because Christ enters the eternal temple and is crowned with glory, uh, 10.10, his death is never repeated, but it is present today. And his body becomes the perfect offering. And this is the, gets into the, you know, this is N.T. Wright's big work that he suggests that Christ is the temple substitute. This is clearly the language in John. Wright argues this in defense of, you know, Jesus refers to himself as divine, and he says it's basic to New Testament Christology that the human Jesus discloses himself in the being and nature of the true God, and it's based on the idea here of Yahweh's return to the temple in Jerusalem. That's what Jesus says, you know, it's sort of the picture is the Lord has come to the temple and Jesus is the substitute for the temple I think this argument I don't think Wright refers to Hebrews he may uh, um, but I think it makes perfect sense also in the context of Hebrews that Christ is the temple the body of Christ is the true temple this is N.T. Wright he says what might it do to our systematic Christologies to make the temple, rather than theories about natures, persons, and substance, central to our reflection. He says, I do not know, but I do know that if we try, were try to make what might find, we might find all kinds of new themes opening up before us. So, uh, you might, you know, they refer to the bicameral temple, and the idea here, it's not that in heaven there is the holy place and the holy of holies, uh, but rather that uh, the holy of holies has now been made accessible, and Christ then has entered in on our behalf. So it's not, and you know, if we if we did a kind of architectural picture of this in heaven, it would look like even in heaven there's limited access to God. I don't think that's the the writer's point but it's referring to this eschatological dwelling, the church, the body of Christ, that the Jews expected to be built in the last days. They probably just didn't expect it to be built of human, you know, of of, uh, the priesthood of all believers or the body of Christ. And so he says, this is the greater and more perfect tent. Uh, The Lord has pitched it. Um, and so the difference of course is in the sacrifices and that Christ entered the heavenly realms obtaining eternal redemption from this you know the picture is of uh, 
uh, working out atonement. And what I've argued is that 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 occurs upon his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and that he his priesthood then is a continual today in the sense that he's seated at the right hand and what's being mediated, not exclusive of the death of Christ, and maybe in the same way that Paul will use the term death. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul references, you know, he, he seems to boil it all down and say that, uh, that he preaches nothing but Christ in him crucified. But then immediately after the passage, you know, where he references the death of Christ, he says, but if we do not hold to the resurrection, then we of all people are to be pitied. That is, that the resurrection obtains redemption. I think the writer of Hebrews is making a similar point here in chapter 9. I've been reading a lot of Philip Church. I won't read you this long quote from him. But the conclusion then to this is, this is the eschatological dwelling of God with his people in the world to come which has now come. Um, let me mention just briefly the role of the Spirit, and I've done an inadequate job here uh, to talk about the Holy Spirit. There, there's a whole part of this that's there in Hebrews that at some point we need to address. That is, the writer of Hebrews will continually say, and God says through the Spirit, or he's used the language of revelation and connected it. But the thing that I wanted to do here is that who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. The imagery is that this penetrates, you know, the sacrifice of Christ is one that penetrates to the Holy of Holies, and at the same time it penetrates the depth of human conscience. Uh, And so the, the point of obstruction is not a material obstruction, you know, it's not a wall or a curtain, but it exists in human conscience. And it is only when the conscience is purified that one is set free to be to approach God, but also to be a fit dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think this is the only place in the New Testament, somebody can correct me here, that the Spirit's agency is connected to Christ's priestly office. Uh, or to the work of the atonement. Uh, So in Christ's approach to the Holy of Holies, the Spirit did not merely assist, which would be the case in the Levitical rites, but he's purchased eternal redemption through the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. And that, that is, this atonement is in and through the eternal Spirit. And the Spirit qualifies later, we'll, we'll get into this, but already it's, it's evident that the Spirit qualifies the worshipers as priests because it causes them to find grace at the throne of God. The throne of grace is a phrase from the writer of Hebrews. And so the Spirit is engaged in enabling the believers to imitate our high priest in this time of restoration or reformation. Uh, I got a whole other thing here, but maybe as Faith looks at her watch, and uh, that uh, I'll pause there, and we can do uh, the Book of Hebrews. Is that is that correct, Mrs. Axton? Good place to stop. Good place to stop. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
<laughs> it's only slide, slide 12 out of 243. No. <laughs> it's just like your class. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's do a bit of Hebrews. The first part is almost self-explanatory, but let's go through it again. Uh, Giselle, you want to read uh, verse 1? And... Yeah. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. I'm still getting there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the idea here is that uh, the the picture throughout Hebrews, he's you know the what is the book of Hebrews? Well, it's a book that's talking about the transition, not from Judaism to Christianity, but the the transition within Judaism. He's nowhere saying, "Oh, you need to convert," but he's saying here is the true meaning of the tabernacle. He's not, you know, he's not saying, oh, it wasn't without its own effect or efficaciousness, but its effect uh, was one that is fulfilled in Christ. And so uh, we've talked about this, that I, I think he may very well be talking, it could be that he's writing to priests in Jerusalem. You know, that's in Acts, it says that many of the priests became Christians. And so... Maybe they're still doing this. Are these regulations, you know, are they still, do they still apply? Well, only in as much as, uh, you know, they're, they're no longer effective because of the, the real temple has come. David, you want to read uh, verse 2? For a tent was prepared in the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. And, um, well, it was. It is called the holy place. There's a lot written on this verse that I'm not going to tell you about. Uh, there's all sorts of arguments whether he's got the whole, whether he's got the arrangement of the tabernacle or temple in mind. And but I think the main point is that he's describing then entry into the holy of holies. The priest mainly served in the holy place. Um, and the lampstand, uh, m- many people think this is representative. Have you read this? What would the lampstand perhaps be representative of? Those of you who have done. I think it didn't it have, uh, it, it is decorated in such a way that it looks like it is, uh, has vines and fruit on it. And so many think it. It may refer to the tree of life. And so the idea is that it's light and life. You know, this is the language of John, but it's also the picture of creation. Uh, Many think that the tabernacle and the temple are a cosmic representation and that each element in the temple or tabernacle represented some aspect of the cosmos. All right, and then, uh, Caitlin, you want to do verse 3? Mm-hmm. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Go ahead, give us a full sentence. Which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold. 
in which are the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Uh, and we all know that it's now stored in a warehouse in the, by the U.S. military. But, uh, it, you know, that at some point, that we don't know exactly when, but the Ark of the Covenant uh, actually goes missing. And, uh, but it didn't, it, who was it? Was it Pompey that went into the, uh, am I saying that right? Who went into the, tent, the Holy of Holies? And, It's not in the Bible. No, no, don't, I don't think there's a movie version. If there is, I'd like to see it. Wasn't it Tychus Epiphanes, was it? No. Okay, I'm, but anyway, he goes in expecting to find, you know, it's sort of like the you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He expected to find something spectacular, uh, and it was an empty room. Because all of these things had always been uh, types. They, you know, they didn't need anything. It wasn't they were anything uh, special was happening. But uh, it was uh, originally contained then the stone tablets, the law, the regulations. You know. Uh, okay, and then verse five. Where are we, James? Pompey, oh, I, I said something right for a change. You have it there, Joel. That he just—I think the the idea is he—he's he, a conquering general, and they uh, and he goes in. You know, he's always been curious what they have in there. They ain't got nothing in there. There's nothing left. Jamie, you want to read the next one? And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Um, the cherubim, of course, uh, in if you think of again a kind of cosmic image here, the cherubim protect, protecting with the fall of man access to the tree of life. What would be act? What the tree of life being representative of of God's presence, and uh, the idea here is that the symbolically. The angels, or you know, uh, uh, are in some way forbidding access to God. Uh, they're not. And if you think, you know, as the writer has begun this book, the Jews think of the whole Mosaic Law as being delivered by angels. Uh, they actually think that the the theophanies were. You know, that in the intertestinal period, they start talking about the Theophanies themselves. Jews never thought you could see God. And so what appeared was, some would say, in, in that period, were angels. But of course, as long as we're dealing, and that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews, or at least the first section, that Christ is superior to angels, in that uh, angels have delivered a the law which does not provide access but in fact is uh, in fact obscuring access or or not providing access all right and then uh, verse 6 evan you want to do 6 and 7 okay <clears throat> now when these things have been so prepared the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing the divine worship but in 
into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. And of course, the the picture is that Christ is called the high priest, uh, that Christ presents his own blood. We've discussed, well, you know, what's the meaning of blood? Uh, in the uh, doctrine of, or in the in the performance of you know the, on the day of atonement, there's the shedding of blood, but the shedding of the blood was followed then by you putting the blood on the various elements of the you know in the holy place, sprinkled on the mercy seat. And so we've talked about this, that the blood is representative of life, life dedicated to God. When it comes to Christ, and we'll get to this next week perhaps, uh, the idea is that, yes, he shed blood too, uh, but the idea is that the sense in which he's entered in is not simply with his death, but uh, with his life, that Christ here is the fulfillment of the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that here is the true atoning uh, high priest who mediates for all time, for it is always today. All right, and then, uh, where did we get? Uh, Maisie, verse 8 and 9. And, and go ahead with verse 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performs the service perfect in regard to <coughs> conscience. So he's, he's saying, perhaps gesturing and saying, now we're seeing the, the shift in time, that uh, what's happening in the temple, that it in fact does not achieve atonement, it does not achieve forgiveness of sin, and does not achieve then the uh, cleansing of the conscience. This would be wonderful to delve into this, but uh, I think the idea is, I'll just, I'll just say a little bit. The idea, I think, you know, what, what was unclean was connected with death. Anything connected with death, which again, you know, the idea here that that was unclean, well, the, I think in chapter 2 the writer has described the human predicament of being one that we are in subjection to the fear of death and so I think the cleansing of the conscience and the freedom that he describes from the slavery to sin are are predicted then in uh, the temple and fulfilled we understand that perhaps though only through the fulfillment of Christ and the final verse Chris Ten. These gifts and sacrifices were meant to be food, drinks, and items used in various purification ceremonies. These ceremonies were required for the body until God would establish a new way of doing things. Mine says the time of the new order. Anybody else have different translations? Time of reformation. Time of reformation. Any different ones? Does anybody have time of correction? Some people say time of, of correction. The, the idea is we've entered the time of correction. 
And he's going to say, verse 11, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, it's happened. This thing is unfolding before our eyes. Uh, in a sense, and he's going to, this will be clear later in the chapter, that he's going to reference a series of sacrifices and offerings that occur in the temple. So Christ is the fulfillment of all of these. I think he's certainly the fulfillment of the sacrifice of atonement, but in, you know, the, the offerings of the temple were all aimed at making clean, and Christ then uh, enables that. That's a short section. Is that, are you disappointed? That it was too short. Any comment? Chris is definitely not. <laughs> All right. Any comments, questions? Well, that's the that's the discussion, you know, and because we've already got priests that converted in the early chapters of Acts, and I so I, my inclination is to think when they the when they explain, you know, as the Ethiopian eunuch was explained to by Philip, as the you know, Jesus explained on the two to the road. That we really don't know, you know, what, what was Jesus talking about on the road, you know, to Emmaus. Well, I think he was doing what we see reduplicated in again and again in the book of Acts. He's going through and explaining how Christ is the center of the Old Testament. And I think the more steep they are in an Old Testament understanding, I think that, in fact, that apparently was obvious to many of them you know, and uh, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think it took a lot of convincing for them. Maybe for others, it it did. But these are people that are already Christians, and so he's explaining to them, not that they have to stop being Jewish, but now they're fulfilled Jews. Now they're true Jews. Now here is here is the things they've been waiting. Now the next, did you have a follow-up question? I'm still thinking. Okay. <laughs> what was your thought? I'll leave it till next week. <laughs> 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 okay. In um, Revelation 21, it talks about how um, John didn't see any temple because the Lord, Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were the temple. So does that go along with what you were saying about the heavenly tabernacle? Yeah, the the, uh, the temple seems to, you know, actually the picture of the New Jerusalem, some people think the measurements there were just the measurements of the known cosmos. You know, they're just giving the... And the idea is that we all inhabit this thing. Uh, that there is no structure or building per se. I think that 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 language, you know, it, I don't think the Jews actually thought that way. You know, this is the there's always this tension in the Old Testament that God does not dwell in a temple built by human hands. Solomon says that prophets continually say God does not desire the blood of bulls and goats. 
So the Jews have always understood that their temple was symbolic and the way the, what they thought of it was was in cosmic terms. That is, they seem to understand. And, you know, there are, in Jewish writings, you can go through all the elements of the temple and see the cosmic element that is represented in the various aspects of the temple. So, yes, yes, that's a good point, Caitlin. That the, I think the Reve- Revelation is a is uh you know it is the book end to genesis that genesis here, here is the purposes of creation fulfilled in revelation and maybe that's the main thing maybe that's the main point to get out of this the the controversial part here in is that in um i think once you once you buy that once you accept the idea that the temple that Christ's body is the temple and it is the in that sense you know I used to use the Vitruvian man I don't know how appropriate this was but the you know who the Vitruvian man is it, it is sort of the cosmic Christ and you can talk about a cosmic Christ in that the Vitruvian man was actually a Greek idea that you know Leonardo da Vinci does it he, he, that the Vitruvian man is the perfectly proportioned man who you can measure all of the cosmos. But later in Christian art, they begin to put Christ in as the Vitruvian man, that, the, that he holds all things together. Uh, and I think that the idea of temple then there gets it, the same idea. Once you, oh, my, my point, I didn't make it. Once you buy that, then I think uh, the controversy that you have about uh, penal substitution and it's going to appear in chapter 9 you know is chapter 9 teaching penal substitution well I think if you have the picture of a cosmic temple and the re- uh, redemption then is this entire you know human process I think we bypass that problem to a, to a large degree That was the part I didn't do, but but we've actually already done it. I've been doing it all along. So it's just that it gets it gets chapter. The book of Hebrews is the book that people who teach penal substitution are going to appeal to, and chapter nine is the place they appeal to. And so next week I'll take apart, not take apart, but I'll show an alternative reading. Uh, to, to penal substitution. I, I just don't think it fits with the rest. You know, that, now that we've gotten this far, I think we would have to relinquish a, a, a lot of ground uh, to hold to something like penal substitution, which would be, as you know, a focus simply on the death of Christ and not the death of Christ as resolving, as the writer says in chapter 2, the slavery to the, you know, the, the fear of death but penal substitution has the idea of addressing the wrath of God. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't seem to be the nature of.